like to welcome everyone signing on with us on Facebook Live or on our podcast online right now. Thanks for joining us. Come on back, everybody. Welcome, everyone. So one woo. That's how we... Is <laughs> it a rough week? <laughs> Tiring week. It's been an exhausting week for, for my family. Amanda's sick right now. Send prayers that way. I'd like to welcome everyone to Dwell Church this morning. My name is Josh Houston. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in November. Can you believe that? 2018 flew by. For the month of November, um, I decided not to plan a sermon series. I wanted to give a little space for Jesus to just kind of direct in, in directions that he wants to lead. So today I'm preaching on prayer. Um, I'm also going to preach on divorce this month and how to be present. And I haven't decided or landed on a fourth topic yet, but I'm really looking forward to preaching this month. I got a lot of really good stuff for you. So I hope that you will be with us on Sunday mornings or at least jump on the podcast or Facebook Live. You guys ready to jump in today? I am. When I was in college, I was part of a sketch comedy team called the Delivery Boys. This was our poster right here. During the summer of 06, we traveled the Western United States performing at Christian youth camps and youth ministries. It was a blast. In that summer, we went to 10 camps in 10 weeks, ministered to thousands of teenagers. It was a blast. Now, at every camp, there was a guest speaker. There's always a guest speaker at a youth camp. And I always like talking to preachers. I like asking questions. I like just kind of picking their brain on their secrets. How do you do what you do? What are your rhythms and your prep look like? What, do you, what are your secrets? And I very vividly remember speaking with this one pastor, guest speaker um, at a camp in Arizona. And I, and I came to him and I said, so what's the key for you to, to being a great leader or a great pastor or Christian or whatever, right? What's, what's your secret? This is what he told me. I start my day every day an hour in prayer. And I remember thinking, actually remember saying, an hour? You pray every day. You start your day for an hour in prayer. He was like, that's the secret. And I was so impressed that he cared that much about praying. I was so impressed that he was that disciplined that he could get up every single day and pray for an hour. But I also remember feeling a little defeated in that moment. I don't really like to pray that much. And I don't know if I'll ever be that disciplined. So does that mean I'm never going to be a great leader? Does that mean I'm never going to be a great pastor or a great Christian if the secret is praying for an hour every single day? And that conversation stuck with me for years. And it, it caused me to, to start digging into prayer and the concept of prayer. What is prayer? What are we doing when we pray? Does it get any easier when we pray? And does it ever get any more enjoyable when we pray? Will, will I ever be able to pray for an hour and want more? My guess is I'm not the only one who's ever wanted to pray more but doesn't like praying. Anybody? <laughs> it's a challenge sometimes, right? I get distracted so often. I get distracted so fast. Will I ever enjoy it? Will I ever get any better at it? I want to share with you this morning, not that I've arrived, but that prayer is now a joy for me. Praying for an hour is less a challenge than it is a delight now. And this morning, I want to share with you what I've discovered what I've encountered through prayer and in prayer that changed everything about prayer for me. And here's how I want to do it. I want to show you what prayer is at its core. 
And I want to show you how Jesus taught his followers how to pray and how not to pray. And how all of that can impact your prayers and even your enjoyment of prayer. Today I want to bring a message entitled, How to Pray. How to Pray. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus prayed? He didn't just talk about prayer. He didn't just teach about prayer. Jesus prayed. And what I find fascinating about that is that he's God. God prayed. God prays. The New Testament expresses that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he's, he's the fullness of God, that the fullness of God dwells in this man, that Jesus is eternity, that he empties himself, he puts on flesh, he becomes man, fully God, fully man, and he prays. People in Jesus' day underestimated his godness. He's a dude. He's from Nazareth, this, this small town. He was born in a stable. He was a carpenter's son. He's a progressive rabbi. But in our day, people tend to underestimate his humanness. Along with being God, Jesus was a dude from Nazareth. He was born in a stable. He was a carpenter's son. He was a progressive rabbi. And what we frequently see in Scripture is Jesus, the man, praying. We frequently see him getting away from the crowds, running away from the crowds, in fact, at times, to spend time with and talk to his father, his heavenly father. But Jesus accomplished many things in his earthly ministry, like supernatural, crazy things, walking on water, restoring sight to the blind, raising the dead to life, even coming back from the dead himself. However, what happens, here's what I've noticed, is that sometimes the supernatural things about Jesus' ministry have a tendency to distract from the very ordinary things of his life. The ordinary rhythms, the miraculous, the extraordinary have this tendency to steal the spotlight from what I would argue are his rhythms of the ordinary that made the miraculous, that made the extraordinary possible for Jesus. And one of these ordinary rhythms for Jesus was his prayer life. I believe it was particularly Jesus's prayer life that enabled him to walk on water and restore sight to the blind and raise people from the dead, even come back from the dead himself. It was his prayer life. But along with me, maybe you've asked, if Jesus is God, why does he need to pray? Isn't he just talking to himself? You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's a little confusing, right? Take it a step further. What did he pray? If he's God, why pray? But what content? What, what did he pray to? What was the content of his prayers? Did Jesus just sit down in a field, bow his head, close his eyes? Dear me. I thank me for the sunrise today. Truly stellar, if I do say so myself. I ask me to give me a glorious day today for all the food I'm going to eat. I bless it to my body. In my name, amen. (laughs) Is this what you hear if you stumble upon Jesus praying in a field? I mean, what does prayer look like for God? If you've never asked questions like this, please start asking questions like this. Jesus wants you to know him. Why did Jesus pray? And I believe the best way to approach this question is by coming in through the side door, actually, by looking at the nature of prayer itself. Because when we examine prayer, when we dig into prayer, it actually reveals what Jesus was doing in prayer. So we start, what is prayer? And maybe just as important, what is prayer not? This is the crux of the message, and I'm going to come back to it. It's my thread. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this today. Prayer is not about changing things. Prayer is not about causing something to happen. Prayer is built on relationship, and it's purposed for intimacy. 
I want to say that again. Prayer is not about changing things. It's not about causing something to happen. Prayer is built on relationship, and it's purposed for intimacy. Let's unpack this a little. Scripture reveals God to be three in one. We see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Spirit when we're sifting through the pages of Scripture. And they all have this, this unique quality, this, these roles, these distinct, this distinct authority or functions that is revealed about God. Three persons, one being, and prayer is the substance of their communion. Prayer is what, is the, is, it's what takes up the space in between each person and the Godhead. It's God's way of doing intimacy. Continuously in song with each other. Continuously in dance with each other. Beyond words, beyond images, beyond symbols, and sometimes using words, images, and symbols. Eternally serving each other, eternally elevating each other, eternally honoring each other. This is prayer. And this is what Jesus engages in as a human being. So when he prays to his Abba, which we regularly see in Scripture, he's not merely asking for the Father to do things for him. He's sharing an intimacy. In fact, have you ever noticed the, the language Jesus uses when he's praying? It, it looks quite different than most Christians' prayer lives. If you pay close attention, Jesus doesn't actually ask much from the Father. When he feeds 5,000 men and their families, he gives thanks, he breaks the bread, and passes it out. When he heals 10 lepers, they ask for mercy. He tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. He spits on a blind man's eyes for healing. He takes a severed ear and puts it back on a man's head. He tells a little dead girl, get up. Apparently, Jesus' prayer life was not an attempt to persuade the Father to do stuff he wanted him to do. Well, he was God, yes, but he was also man. He was limited in time and space. He was limited in power. He was limited in knowledge. Scripture shows us this. He was fully man. So why does Jesus pray like he does? Because prayer is not about saying the right words. Prayer is about intimacy. Prayer is a, it's a stance. It's, a, it's a, dispos, a, a disposition, an orientation. It's this awareness that we are constantly and endlessly in God. You don't have to convince a wave that it's part of the ocean. Endlessly in God. This is why Jesus prayed. Relationship and intimacy. This is a massive shift I think the church needs to make regarding our prayer lives. Yes, prayer involves requests. It involves asking God to change the current and damaged realities. This week, right? It's just another example of, of horror and hate. More shootings. So we call on God. We need you to step in. Change the current and damaged realities. Prayer, yes, it takes part in creating the current and changing the future. It does. But that is not primarily what prayer is about. Prayer is about nearness. Prayer is about union. It's built on relationship. It's purposed for intimacy. This is what Jesus does. And this is what Jesus invites his followers into, to have robust and joyful prayer lives. He invites humanity into what he shares with the Spirit and the Father, communion and nearness and intimacy with the God who created us. You know, one of my great joys as, a, as an ordained minister is when I'm given the honor of officiating at people's weddings and pre-marriage counseling on the way to the wedding, too. And this month, I had the distinct honor of officiating at Seth and Annie's wedding and Patrick and Kristen's wedding and pre-marriage counseling as well. It's so cool. And one of the topics we discussed during pre-marriage counseling is communication. 
Anybody who's been married for a while or been in a relationship longer in a few years will tell you how important communication is for intimacy. Can I get an amen? Let me paint a picture for you. Imagine you're a fly on the wall in my apartment during a pre-marriage counseling session with, with Seth and Annie. Um, and I start asking questions into their relationship. But this is how the conversation goes. By the way, this is, this is not how it actually went. This is a hypothetical situation. I just like putting faces on, on, on hypotheticals if you can. So you're fly on the wall. This is what you hear. I say, so Annie, tell me about your communication with Seth. She's like, oh, man, our communication is great. It's fabulous. I, probably better than most couples. Wow. That's awesome. Good for you. Seth, what do you think about that? He pauses. Because if you know Seth, he likes, he, he's intentional with his words. So he just takes a moment. And after a few seconds, Annie jumps in. What Seth is trying to say is our communication is great. It's probably better than most couples. And I turn back to Seth. Seth, I got a question for you. If you were to split your guys' communication into percentages, you speaking versus Annie speaking versus sharing, versus sharing silence together, how would you break it up? Annie's eyes get really big. He takes a moment and he says, you know, I'd say Annie talks about 90% of the time. She gives me space about 5% of the time, and then we share silence about 5% of the time. And the room gets quiet. And I look at Seth and I say, of that 90% that Annie is talking, how much of that is her asking you to do things for her? He pauses for another moment. Probably about 90% of that 90%. So 80% of your communication is Annie asking you to do things. He's like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. The room gets quieter. And I look at Annie. So Annie, tell me about your guys' communication. Now, again, this is a hypothetical. They actually have, they're, they're really good at communicating. I was, I, I'm, they, they communicate quite well with each other. But in this imagined scene, if you're a fly on the wall, what are you thinking? Maybe, dang, that sucks for Seth. I wonder if Annie even cares about his thoughts, about his feelings. This communication, this intimacy appears broken, maybe even abusive. As a pastor, I find myself in conversation with people regularly, and prayer comes up often. The discussion about the nature of prayer in people's prayer lives. And I like to, I like to ask into people's prayer lives, just to dig a little bit. And one of, that's one of the questions I ask. Break down your percentages in conversation with God. You talking. God talking, space for silence. And I'm not exaggerating. Most of the time, this is the breakdown. About 90% is them talking. 5% is God. 5% is sharing silence together. And then I ask into it, of that 90%, how much of that is you asking God to do something for you? It's about 90% most of the time. Now, if prayer is purposed for getting things done, if it's built on me telling God how to do his job, These percentages make sense. But if prayer is built on relationship and it's purposed for intimacy, we might find ourselves quickly thinking, dang, that sucks for Jesus. I wonder if we even care about his thoughts or feelings in this. This communication, this intimacy appears broken, maybe even abusive. We talk a lot here about the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is prayer. And Jesus' approach to prayer is far more about intimacy than it is about business. I'd like to show you a few things he taught his followers regarding how to pray. If you brought your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. we got Bibles on the back table back there if you don't own one and you want to take one home. 
and I'll have it on the screen as well. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Nine verses of gold here. And I want to work through this. So verse five and six. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. What's he saying here? He's saying, watch your ego. Because what goes on in your heart is more important than what you pray. What goes on in your heart is more important than what you're praying. Guard your heart. Now, he's not saying don't let anyone see you pray. He's saying prayer is not about impressing anyone. It's not about appearing holy, so stop trying. Pray to your heavenly Father. Pray to an audience of one. And if you need to go into your room to make sure your heart is right, don't let the door hit you on the way in. Verses 7 and 8. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because there are many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't babble. Other translations say, don't use meaningless repetition. I was thinking this week, maybe prayer has been difficult for you. Maybe it's been a difficult discipline for you. And maybe at its core, prayer has seemed to not be about intimacy, to not be about relationship because of the people you've watched pray, because of the people you've learned how to pray from. Maybe Jimmy Christian was some guy, some person you respected when it came to church or God. And when he prayed, it was something like this. Father, Lord God, thank you for this day, Father, Lord God. I ask, Father, Lord God, that you bless us, Father, Lord God. Fill this house, Father, Lord God, with your presence, Father, Lord God. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And maybe you thought, that's weird. <laughs> but Jimmy Christian seems to know what he's doing when he's praying. Or maybe when you, play, pray, play, when you pay close attention to him praying, you notice he says the word just all the time. God, I just pray right now that you just come and meet us here, that you just love on us, that we would just be transformed. So maybe prayer never really seemed like it was built on relationship or intimacy because who do you know who talks like that with their most intimate friends, their most, their most loved ones, right? Like today, let's say I'm on the phone with Amanda and you hear me talking and I say, hi, Amanda. I was just wondering, Amanda, if you just wanted to just have a date night tonight, Amanda, I just want you to know, Amanda, that just you're just my favorite person, Amanda. Who talks like that? 
Relationships of intimacy never sound like that, right? Now, I, I, I promise I don't say this to mock, truly. Hear my heart. I don't say this to mock. And I don't say it to guilt people out of praying like this. Is this is how you've learned how to pray. I bring it up because communication is important for intimacy. Words have power. Father means something. Lord means something. God means something. These words matter. What it seems like, I've been in church my entire life, what it seems like if Christians have learned how to use these words as filler words to think of what they're going to say next or to keep the cadence rolling, keep my speed up. So I'm going to use the word Father, Lord, God in, the, in between so I can keep going. Jesus says, don't babble. Don't use meaningless repetition. Don't, don't, don't use meaningless repetition. Mean what you say. If you, if you mean Father, say that. If you're intending Lord, say Lord. If God is appropriate for what you want to communicate, say God. But don't just fill space with these very important words. And the word just, the way most Christians use it, it means merely. God, I merely pray right now that you merely come and meet us here, that you would merely love on us, and that we would merely be transformed today. Merely scattered throughout our prayers like this makes our prayers sound mediocre and dreary. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not judging. Honestly, it's just an observation. Jesus says, don't babble. Don't use meaningless repetition. Don't just fill space with words when you pray. Think about what you pray and pray what you mean. God doesn't hear you because you use more words or because it sounds more eloquent. Prayer requires more of the heart than the tongue. So pray what's in you, not what should be in you. That was a game changer for me when it came to my prayer life. It changed everything. Pray what is in you, not what should be in you. Pray what's actually in your head, actually in your heart, not what you think will sound holy or make you sound smart. Did not mean for that to rhyme. Verse 8. <laughs> your father knows exactly what you need before you ask. Your father knows exactly what you need before you ask. Apparently when you pray, you're not informing God of anything, of, anything, of anything he doesn't already know. Fascinating. It's almost like, it's almost like we, in our prayers we, we think God has turned around. And we're like, hey God, I just want to tell you what's going on here. Just in case you haven't seen it, can you come? He already knows, apparently. Not too long ago, Aria, my three-year-old daughter, she told me, hey, Dad, please don't forget to make me dinner tonight. What do you mean don't forget to, bring, to make you dinner? T- You're my daughter. What kind of dad do you think I am? And then I went, oh, I learned so much from my daughter. Oh, you don't have to inform God how to take care of you. You may have had a terrible father, but Abba is a magnificent father. Again, prayer is about relationship. It's about intimacy. We're not telling God how to do his job. We're joining in heavenly communion. So sometimes it includes asking him to accomplish things. Most of the time, it actually doesn't need that. You know, one of my, my most favorite spiritual exercises I go back to regularly is for a week or a month, I won't ask God for a thing. You should try it sometime. For a week, don't ask God to do a thing for you or for anyone else. Don't tell God to accomplish a thing. No verbs. Don't ask him to heal or fix or give or bless or help in any way. 
Because in case you didn't know, the world is not going to fall apart because you took a week off from telling God how to do his job. One week, leave the business to him. You just focus on intimacy. See what that does to your prayer life. Talk about your day. Your frustrations with your boss. Your fascination with penguins. How much you miss your best friend who lives in another state. Or what you loved about that film that you saw last night. Or how much you hate pumpkin spice lattes. No business. Just intimacy. You find it's really difficult at first, actually. But after a few days, after a week, it's, it's like when the Wizard of Oz goes from black and white to color. Something just opens up. I found that my, the most beauty in my prayer life when I stop asking God to do things. And I'm not saying this is prescriptive. If you want to experience beauty, don't ask God. To, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is in my experience of prayer is the most beauty and intimacy I found in prayer is when I've stopped telling God how to do his job. When I just talk to him like he's my closest friend. When I trust him to take care of my needs because he already knows what I need. Because he's a good father. And then verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Now, some people get stuck on this exact wording in his prayer, but Jesus wasn't confining prayer to these words as much as he's touching on some helpful elements of what make up a good prayer. So it's fine to pray this prayer. In fact, it's a great prayer. I have it memorized. I love this prayer. I pray it all the time. But this prayer is no more holy or potent than, God, I need you. Or, Jesus, thank you for the sunrise today. His point is pray like this. Or here's a good example of a prayer. That makes sense? So first off, notice with this prayer, the social nature of it. How many I, me, or mys do we see in here? Zero. What do we read? Our Father, give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we have forgiven. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us. This is one of the principal lessons Jesus wants us to know about prayer. It's not about you. Prayer is social in nature. It's about we far more than it is about me. So in prayer, we must learn to get over ourselves. <laughs> Jesus begins their prayer with our Father in heaven. Now, 21st century Americans, for us, God as Father has become a familiar metaphor. But in Jesus' day, this was radically progressive. Up to this point, God was Yahweh. He was creator. He was almighty. He was Jehovah. He was not Abba. This term is way too intimate for sovereign God. It's inappropriate. In fact, it's kind of scandalous, Jesus. So this is a new reality that Jesus is inviting followers into, followers of, of Jesus into, this reality in God that humanity had never encountered before about God. You know, some people, they, they complain about Scripture, it being outdated or archaic. But how appropriate is this? We're seeing the consequences of a predominantly fatherless generation. Fatherlessness is an epic in our day. Sorry, it's an epidemic. We make an epic story about the fatherlessness in our generation, right? How many people grow up without dads? And for many whose dads were in the picture, they were often provider and disciplinarian, but also emotionally distant. Jesus uses the term Abba, this intimate, tender term. Abba is the being to whom we pray, a heavenly father who knows you, who views you and treats you with compassionate tenderness. Abba laughs with you. He cries with you. He celebrates with you. He suffers with you. 
Today, I want to remind you or I want to inform you, regardless of who your dad is or was to you, you have a father in heaven who accepts you today. He calls you his own. And he says, there's nothing you could do to make me love you more or make me love you less. I'm fully yours. You're fully mine. Jesus says, our heavenly father's name is hallowed. His name is honored. It's sacred. It's holy. So when we show up to God, we do so in humility because we're talking to a being who invented the strawberry. Which means this is not a conversation among equals. There is a greater than in this conversation, and it is not us. Which means when he says no, he's right. When we pray, we speak to the hallowed heavenly Father. Verse 10, one of my favorite verses in prayers and all the scripture. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning we're asking for the realities of heaven to be ours. The fulfillment of love and joy and wholeness. The absence of fear and sorrow and emptiness. We pray that into our situation. Christians tend to say, like, let's get out of here. Let's go to heaven. No, 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 no. We're praying heaven into here. Heaven come down. Invade our situations. Abba, Father, may your kingdom come into our families, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our places of work, in our church, in our city. May your kingdom invade our lives as it reigns in heaven. May your will, your wants, your desires invade our lives as it exists in heaven. This is the core of the prayer. God's kingdom, God's will. Not my kingdom where I have the final say. Not my will where I get what I want. His kingdom, his will. The emphasis is on his priorities not ours, we're submitting our kingdom to his. What we see here is the prayer gets front-loaded on God. He's father, he's in heaven, his name is hallowed, we call on his kingdom and on his will, and then after we've appropriately oriented ourselves to truth, to reality, then we shift to us. Really important, we got to start with reality. Because if we point our picture at ourselves to, to, to create reality first, it's going to be messed up. So we, we orient ourselves to truth first. Then we shift it to us. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. I'm going to be frank. This part sucks. <laughs> Abba, give us not just what we think we need, but what you know we need, which is often very different. And we ask for our daily bread, what we need just for today. Abba, make us daily dependent on you rather than our savings account or our jobs or our abilities or our reputation. To put it bluntly, I think most Christians aren't ready to pray this prayer. Don't set us up with provision for years to come so we don't need you anymore. Set us up only with what we need today so that when we wake up tomorrow, we need you just as much as we've ever needed you. Give us today our daily bread. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we, as we have forgiven our debtors. I wrestled with how to present this. There's a lot of different ways you could take this, and I'm going to do a little different than the classic approach. I don't believe sin separates us from God. The cross shattered something in eternity. Before the cross, sin separated us from God. After the cross, sin separates us from ourselves, from each other. I think our bigger struggle now is overcoming the illusion of separateness because you're no longer separated from God. You see, the cross was a moment in time 
that stands above all time. It's a moment in history, but it extends over every moment in history. And in that moment, forgiveness from sin was offered for every human being that has ever existed and will ever exist. So now the issue is one of receiving forgiveness that's already been offered. So here's where this this tweaks a little bit for me, my opinion. Jesus' example of prayer is a good pre-cross prayer. Forgiveness extending all time hasn't happened yet. So I pray this prayer a little different. I think asking for forgiveness is unnecessary now. Why? Because it's already offered. What's necessary is receiving forgiveness. Now this is an important, like just an important nuance. Confession and repentance are very different. Confession from sin, repentance from sin, this should be a daily discipline for us. Many times throughout the day. We acknowledge our failures, and we turn from them. God, I confess, I'm broken. I am screwed up. I need you. And I repent. I turn from this thing. I turn back to you. This is different than forgiveness. Brennan Manning wrote, repentance is not what we do in order to receive forgiveness. It's what we do because we've been forgiven. Jesus has already offered forgiveness. He's already thrown it on you. For every sin you've already committed, for every sin you will commit in the future. The question is, do you want to receive the gift of forgiveness that's been given to you? Will you accept your acceptance in the family of God? And I I can dig in deeper with that if you want to. I'd be happy to talk with you about it. Let's keep moving, though. Again, the social and the relational nature of this prayer. Forgive us as we have forgiven our debtors. This one's really interesting for me. Forgive us in the same way we offer forgiveness to others. Really? Again, I'm not really sure many of us are ready to pray this prayer. Is that really how we want God to treat us? Do I want him to show the same patience and kindness and gentleness that I offer people who wrong me? Not really, actually. So here's how this element of prayer manifests in my own prayer life. Jesus, as you have offered me forgiveness and grace and mercy, help me offer that to others. God, I want for our forgiveness of those who wrong us, I want it to look identical. And obviously, I don't want yours to match mine. (laughs) So please transform my ability to forgive to reflect yours. I want to be able to extend forgiveness before others even wrong me, because that's how you do forgiveness. And then verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the acknowledgement of our frailty before God and before evil. Our absolute brokenness and need for God's power in our lives. So we pray, Abba, Father, the hallowed one, left to ourselves, we will self-destruct. Left to the enemy of our souls, we will be pulled apart and devoured. Please come fight for us. We trust in your strength, not ours. We trust in your provision, not ours. We trust in your protection, not ours. You're the almighty God. Who could stand against you? Evil can't. I sure as heck can't. This prayer pleads, keep our hearts from evil because we love evil. We need you, oh God. I recommend memorizing this prayer. Again, not because there's some power in the words or the order, but because Jesus says, this is a good prayer. (laughs) Pray like this. And personally, I find myself in just everyday, regular, mundane situations, walking my dog, making coffee, sitting in traffic, reading a book, And I'll start praying this prayer just from the depths of my soul 
start praying it in my, in my mind. I'll start praying it out loud even. And with each phrase or sentence, I'll just fill in more. I'll just kind of like. So this morning, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are Abba. We are your children. We're grateful that you've accepted us in your family. You're holy, you're other, you're greater than. And we honor that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In our lives, in our church, in our relationships, we want you to fill this space. Step into our brokenness. Step into our hurt. Take the love and the joy and the greatness and the goodness that exists in eternity. Just drench it down on us. Give us today our daily bread. What we need, God. Individually, as friends, as families, as a church family, give us what we need for today. Because we want to need you. Not our money, not our jobs, not our stuff. We want to be dependent on you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Abba, thank you for the forgiveness that you offered on the cross. And we receive that gift today. We accept our acceptance in your family, that it covers our sin, that it covers our destruction and our desire for evil. And because of that, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Come fight for us because we destruct when we're left to ourselves. If you do not stand up and fight for us, we will be destroyed. So, Abba, Father, come fight for us. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. This, then, is how you should pray. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And a couple people to, to stand up here for prayer as well. I want to come back to this. Prayer is built on relationship and purposed for intimacy. Prayer is built on relationship and it's purposed for intimacy. And this shift can take a prayer life that's fueled by guilt or religiosity or fear and transform it over time to be something beautiful and intimate, even delightful. Prayer is not what we do after we've tried everything else and everything has failed and there's no more options. Prayer is the frame that the whole painting sits in. It's the foundation of a, uh, that the building stands on. Prayer is what gives sense and texture and color and flavor to our experience of this world. It's what enables us to abide in Christ and his love as he abides in us. This is the way of Jesus. Prayer. And so as we go into a time of response and worship and song, what I want to challenge you with is to simply pray what is in you, not what should be in you. Pray what is in you, not what should be in you. So if you're pissed at God, let him know. If you find yourself incredibly grateful in this moment, express it to him. If you're grieving the loss of a relationship, tell him. If you're confused about a decision that needs to be made, ask for wisdom. If you need provision, call on our provider. If someone else is on your heart, lift them up to the Father. Well, he already knows. Of course he already knows, but he loves how you tell it. He loves the way you put it into words. 
And he loves that, that it, it calls to, to deepen the relationship, to deepen the intimacy. That's what he wants most out of you. So pray whatever is in you in this moment. Or maybe what you need is to come up and have a brother or a sister pray for you. Someone who may be able to express in words what you're not able to put in words right now just because you're so overwhelmed by a situation. To stand with you, to believe with you where your faith is being tried. And maybe you don't have anything swirling. That's great. You can just be. That's prayer too. And in my opinion, sometimes it's the best kind. So Abba Father, we approach you once again as a church family, as a community, united by your blood on the cross, by your sacrifice for us. And we lay our lives before you. We accept our acceptance into the family of God and we, we call on you, God. First, we want to be more intimate with you. We want to know you more. We want to reveal the deeper parts of our souls to you, God. So in this moment, we join together and we call on you, God, reveal yourself to us. Show yourself. We want to know you. And for all the stuff that's going on in our lives, we lift this all up to you, God. I know you see it all, but we offer all this up as a gift. All the pain, all the hurt, all the fear, the guilt and shame, the confusion, as well as the joys and the ecstasies and the beauties and, the, and all, this, all this wonderful blessing that you've poured out on us, God. We lift it all up to you. And we just present it to you as a gift. And we ask that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come in this room right now as it is in heaven. And that you give us courage and faith to respond to what you are doing in our hearts in this moment. We ask this all in faith in Jesus' name.